Opening day. It's opening day. It's the best day of the year, of course. It's April 1st, 2021. I'm not fooling. There is no fooling around. Today is opening day in Major League Baseball. It's an on-time departure. There was some concern whether the season would start on time. There was some concern whether there'd be a season. We didn't know how long the COVID-19 pandemic would be going on. We assumed it would be done by last July and then last August and then September, October, November. Here we are. The pandemic is not over at all. It may become an endemic, by the way. But MLB has said, you know what? We don't have approval of the union. We are pressing forward with opening day. So I want to talk about several storylines. There was a bonus episode that was released late last night when we awoke Coca from his slumber. We talked about the Francisco Lindor signing. Yes, the Mets have signed a free agent finally. Oh, no. No, they didn't. What are we talking about? Francisco Lindor is in the last year of team control. He was traded to the Mets this offseason in a blockbuster trade, a great trade for the Mets. He then said that he needed a new deal by opening day or he would not negotiate again. Steve Cohen said, I hear you. And last night around midnight, right before first pitch, you know, 12 hours before, plenty of time for a physical, plenty of time to get pen to paper, They agreed to a $341 million deal. We went into that deal in detail last night on a bonus pod that was released by Coca while he was in REM. And I don't mean he was losing his religion. Opening day is the type of day that as an executive, it is your favorite day because you feel as though everything's right. Even when you're supposed to lose 90 games and all the Pocota projections and everybody says, All the betting money says that forget winning opening day, you're going to lose 90 games throughout the course of the season. But you go to bed the night before opening day, you lay out your clothes, you wear a tie opening day, no matter where you are. You look around your ballpark, whether you're at home or on the road, and you see bunting. There's just a different feeling about it because for one day, analytics don't matter. Numbers don't matter. The pressure to win doesn't matter. The years of losing don't matter. Nothing matters except what's in front of you. And what's in front of you is what I used to describe to our players in a final team meeting before opening day as we are a blank canvas. We are responsible for the painting that will be done in 162 parts. We are responsible for whether or not it looks like a Jackson Pollock or whether or not it looks like a gorgeous Saison still life, or whether we will look like a Norman Rockwell. What will the season hold? There'll be injuries. There'll be losing streaks. There'll be winning streaks. There'll be underperformance. There'll be overperformance from some of you. But as a team, let's start tomorrow, and let's never believe that one game in April doesn't matter. It's a pretty, pretty common thing that I'd hear from players. It's early. Don't worry. Well, I was on a bunch of teams. I'm thinking about 2005 in particular. But a bunch of years, a bunch of teams, a bunch of losing happens in April. And everyone says, don't worry, we'll turn it on. It's fine. We have 110 games left after 52 games. 
And my view is you start with the intensity of what you are going after from day one, inning one, pitch one. I want your focus. I want your attention. I want your commitment. And I don't want you to worry about the dog days of summer when we're going to lose 90 games. Let's focus on what the dog days of summer are going to be when we're trying to win 100 games and get a ring on all of our fingers. There's a city that I'm thinking of right now. It's a concrete jungle. It's a very important city for Major League Baseball. It is critical for broadcast partners, national partners of Major League Baseball, that the New York teams are relevant, that the New York teams are good, and that the New York teams play in October. Especially important for the New York Yankees. They are, even with the Dodgers being who they've been, with the payroll, with the winning, the reality is, as the Yankees go, so goes Major League Baseball's revenue. The Yankees have struggled. There is no doubt about it. They have not won a World Series since 2009. That's the type of struggle that about 25 teams would like. But for them to have not been in a World Series in 12 years is something that hasn't happened in a quarter century. So the Yankees come into this season with no new additions of note. They brought back DJ LeMahieu. They signed Corey Kluber to pitch for them. They signed Jameson Talon to pitch for them. Those are middle of the rotation, back end of the rotation starters who are forced into the front of their rotation behind Garrett Cole. They're a year removed from signing Garrett Cole to that huge free agent contract when he left Houston to join his dream team, the Yankees. The Yankees have something going right now that they haven't had in a while. And I'm going to whisper it for all you Yankee fans out there. Ready? Health. 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 Stanton. Plain. Judge. Plain. This is critical. When you look at what the Yankees need to do to play into October, they need health from their offense. They need performance from their pitching. And we are going to find out sooner rather than later whether the Yankees made the right call by not spending money on Trevor Bauer, but instead by spending money on LeMahieu and Stanton and Cole alone. Don't worry, Luis Severino will be there to bail you out. Nope, not till later in the season. That's like the Mets saying they can depend on Noah Syndergaard to bring him to the promised land. When you are coming off of Tommy John, when you come back, your arm is going to feel good some days. Your arm is going to feel not so good other days. You're going to have different command over different pitches depending on what the day is, as opposed to a healthy pitcher. What, what a healthy pitcher says to you after his bullpen before the game starts, hey, my breaking stuff feels really good today. Or, hey, the fastball is really coming out smoothly today. Or they'll say my fastball is good. The slider spin is a little off. I don't really have the feel for the pitch right now. That is sort of normal for healthy pitchers. But with pitchers coming off Tommy John, it's slightly different than that. There are moments in your first 10, 15 starts after Tommy John when you actually don't know what is going to happen with your arm when you release any one of your pitches. You have a little bit of worry that will you feel a snap? Will it feel a little off? Will there be a little soreness? So it's very difficult first, first 10 starts to actually know that you will perform at your pre-Tommy John level. It's not guaranteed. So Noah Syndergaard will not return to the Mets until June is my guess. He'll be like a deadline acquisition for the Mets. They'll add him to a rotation that has Trevor Bauer in it. <laughs> Just kidding. No, it doesn't. But it does have the best pitcher in baseball, Jacob DeGrom. 
It does have Marcus Stroman. May have Carlos Carrasco, but doubtful. He's been injured, not necessarily productive. But they will have Francisco Lindor every day playing at shortstop. They will have an unsigned Michael Conforto. Does that mean he's not going to play hard for the Mets? No. Michael Conforto could not come to a long-term deal with the Mets. The Mets were focused on Lindor. And Conforto said, if you're not going to pay me what my agent thinks I'm worth, who's his agent? Nah, it's some guy named, I think his name is Scott. I can't remember his last name. Not a big deal. Conforto still has a chance for a big year. And by the way, when you're a Boris free agent, you want to have the biggest platform year ever. That's the year before you become a free agent, because then Boris can take your talents elsewhere and get you a three handle in your contract if you're Michael Conforto. And the Mets were no way going to give two $300 million position player deals. Wasn't going to happen. Who do they think they are? The Padres? Of course, you got Pete Alonso coming back. No more sophomore slump. Ready to rake. So the New York teams are both extremely interesting this season. And that is good news for baseball. It all starts with DeGrom. DeGrom is facing the Washington Nationals today. That's a tough lineup. You got Juan Soto in that lineup. Or do you? You got Scherzer pitching tonight. Or do you? What's going on? Well, you can imagine what's going on. Baseball's worst nightmare. We've got a COVID problem already, and the season hasn't even started. We knew, just like last year, baseball has 60 players ready to go at the big league level. You've got 26 on the active roster for today's opening day, and you've got 34 other players, quote, in the alternate site, ready to be brought up at any moment. Now, remember when the Marlins and Cardinals had a COVID issue last year, they didn't bring up all all that many players from the alternate site because when you bring a player from an alternate site, that means you bring them to the big leagues. That means you have started their service clock. That means you've added him to the roster, which is why teams will do what the Marlins did and go out and find players from any independent league, any penal league, any beer league, any, any league, just to get them onto the big league roster to try to get through COVID. Did the Nationals have an outbreak? At this point, we do not know. What we do know is that at least five players will not be available for today's game against DeGrom, five out of the 26, because one player has tested positive for COVID-19. And it's an actual positive test. Unlike last year, do you remember when the Nationals started their 60-game season without Juan Soto? He took a rapid test. It was negative. And it turns out they could never find another positive test again. He tested negative the rest of the time. But that one positive test kept him out for 10 days because we didn't know much about COVID back in July, last July. So it's going to be very interesting to see how the COVID protocols deal with the Washington Nationals. What they've said is whoever tested positive, name not released, we do know it's not Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer said, I'm not flying with you guys to New York. Forget it. I'm flying on my own with my family. I'm clear. We're good. He's starting. But we don't know whether Juan Soto is in the lineup today. We just have, we don't, what could it be Ryan Zimmerman? How will we know until roster moves are made? And the best part about baseball is that we think roster moves have to be made immediately upon knowing what you're going to do. But the rule is you can make a roster move all the way up to game time. You just have to submit a lineup card into baseball 
Remember, because of gambling, you no longer exchange the lineup card at home plate, even though you really do. That's sort of just the batting order. The actual roster of your team is sent to baseball along with a batting order for gambling purposes. And the roster is what is in the computer under your team. So until word leaks out about that, and it will, somehow media is involved in the computers that are run by Major League Baseball. I haven't quite figured that out yet. Because they seem to know every move that happens before it happens. But in this case, we don't know. So will baseball press through with the Nationals having a COVID issue with another team maybe having more positive tests, more outbreaks? They will, but they're also working hard to make sure that all teams get vaccinated up to that 85%. We did that a few days ago on Nothing Personal. And you're seeing more and more teams pressuring their players to get vaccinated because they want to get to the 85% level because they want to relax the COVID protocols that are in place that were agreed to with the union. But more importantly, they want the players to stay healthy and not get COVID. Forget the fact that the vaccine doesn't necessarily stop you from getting COVID. The vaccine actually stops you from being hospitalized and dying from COVID, which is a very, very worthy thing. But it doesn't necessarily stop the spread of COVID or stop you from actually getting it. Often when seasons start, we hear from people who you don't normally hear from when baseball started. It happened yesterday. I was fascinated at the timing. I loved it. Joe Biden, the president, gave a long, raging interview about the start of the season, and he talked about several important topics, certainly in his mind. He talked about vaccinations. He tried to alert the country that the vaccines are safe, which they are. He said he got a vaccine and he's got a pretty important job. So I think you all should too. Speaking about players, speaking about fans, speaking about getting a vaccination card to show that you can go to events. That was interesting what Biden said. He also mentioned that he was quite disappointed with Texas. I mean, who's not? The Texas Rangers are trying. They're trying to recapture all of that lost revenue. And believe me, there was a lot of it last year. So they are the only ballpark opening their entire stadium. 100% capacity for today's opening day. I'm not sure how many are going to show up, but let's just pretend it's full. Everybody sitting next to each other like the good old times, passing hot dogs back and forth, coughing and sneezing and snorting and cheering and yelling and screaming and spittooning everywhere. At least the roof will be open. But man, there'll be a lot of people and Biden said he doesn't get it. It goes against what science is saying right now. Do not be in crowded places for more than 15 minutes, even if it is outdoors, if you are not vaccinated and certainly if you're not wearing masks. So he called out Texas. Now, are there political underpinnings to why he's calling out Texas? You bet your lone star. But at the end of the day, Texas made a decision in its best interests, and they made a decision based on the local rules that exist. All teams have local municipalities who have given capacities for their teams. And believe me, the teams are going to sell up to that capacity. And believe me, little known fact, baseball executives lobbied their local municipalities to have the largest percentage of capacity allowed because opening day is where the money is. There are about five teams where you cannot tell the difference between game two and game one. But for 25 teams, game one is a money maker, a huge money maker. So having full capacity for one game is critical. Remember, 
there was a team, I think it may have been Texas, that was the first team to come out and say we're going to have at least 10%. And in February 11th of 2021, I actually said to you that my wait to see, which is where you wait, I see, and we see whether or not your wait was worth it. I said every MLB stadium will allow at least 10%. Believe it, that is a yes. So we're going to watch games today. We're going to try to feel normal. We're going to try to look at teams who are feeling pressure. We're going to try to see who wins. If you're a fan of a team who wins opening day, in your mind, you're looking at 162-0. If you're part of a team that loses opening day, you're saying, oh, please, no. Is it starting again? All the excitement we had, pfft, does it just disappear like Kaiser Soze and we're going to go 0-162? Because that's how it feels opening day when you win versus when you lose, even though publicly I would always say, hey, I don't care. It's okay that we lost opening day. It's a very long season. We know we're going to get to where we want to get to. It's great that we won opening day, I would say, because it sets the tone for the season. Of course, you wouldn't say that if you lost. So I had different statements ready for whether or not we'd win or lose an opening day. But don't kid yourself. It is very, very, very important. I think there's two teams who really need to focus on today, and that's the San Diego Padres and the Chicago White Sox. And the reason I'm choosing those two teams as my true opening day focus, when you quote unquote win the offseason, which most people are saying the Padres did by acquiring Blake Snell, by acquiring Yu Darvish, Yu Darvish will start today. By the way, did you see Yu Darvish, Coca, late last night? He hates hitting, by the way. He just doesn't enjoy hitting. He's in the National League. He's got to take a bat and play because there's no universal DH. He actually said last night that he was hopeful that right before game time, there would be an agreement with the union and the league to start universal DH 10 minutes later. Unfortunately for you, we're going to get that wait to see wrong because I said there would be universal DH in 2021. So I'm holding out hope until 110 Eastern when the first pitch is thrown by Garrett Cole. But you, it's not going to happen. It's just not. Too much water under the bridge. So you, you're going to be hitting. The White Sox also won the offseason in many ways, in their mind, adding the way they did, shoring up their bullpen, projected to potentially take the Twins in the Central Division, potentially win the pennant in the American League, potentially to play the Padres in the National League. That would be a World Series that would make networks weep. Although Tatis is the face of baseball but the market's just not big enough. So it really is important when you've won the offseason to start well. I'll never forget winning the offseason in 2012 and then opening Marlins Park, now Lone Depot Park, and thinking, we got to win today. We can beat the Cardinals. We got Josh Johnson going. First pitch, strike one to Rafael for Cal. Everything's looking great. And we were no hit for like the first five innings, I think. I think the first hit we got, I don't even remember. Who was the first hit in Marlins Park, Oka? Was it Omar Infante? I think Omar Infante at the first home run at Marlins Park. And I cannot remember who got the first hit. It could have been Gabby Sanchez who broke up the no-hitter. I can't believe I can't remember. I swore to myself I'd always remember what happened opening day in 2012. In any case, I would say if you're a Padres fan or a White Sox fan, don't panic after today, but just know that your front office is because your front office is putting way more emphasis on today's game than they should. And if you're right and you win, it feels great. 
If you're wrong and you lose, you quickly convince yourself that your overemphasis was misplaced and you get ready for game two. How do you go into a season if you are Jose Reyes? Thank you, Coca. I can't believe that I didn't remember that. I have a poster of that. I have a picture of Jose Reyes at the plate getting the first hit at Marlins Park, which was opening day was uh, April 4th, 2012. Reyes first hit and then Omar Infante first home run as a Marlin at Marlins Park. I think that may have been the first home run period at Marlins Park. The first hit at Marlins Park was by a Cardinal because we were no hit for so many innings. I kept thinking opening day. You know, we planned for opening day at Marlins Park for years, since 2002, 10 years, I was thinking about what opening day would be like. And as we're being no hit, I'm sitting with the owner and I'm sitting with the the president of baseball operations, Larry Pinefest, and I'm saying this can't happen. This would be so on brand for us, feeling sorry for ourselves and all the stuff we had gone through to get no hit in your first game in your new ballpark. That was in my head, totally worried about it. And then Jose got a knock. Thank you, Jose, wherever you are. Thank you. And I'm sorry for trading you to Toronto. I really am. So what do you do when you win a World Series like we did in 03 and you have opening day in 04? What do you do when you win a World Series in 03 and you open the season in 04, not as a favorite to even win your division, forget win the World Series? You do nothing. You get ready to, to get your ring. You get ready for the ceremony. You get ready to raise the flag. You end up doing great ceremonies because you want to celebrate the past because you're almost positive that you're going to have a hard time repeating it in the future. But what about the Los Angeles Dodgers? They won it last year, as you may remember, because it seems like a year ago, but it wasn't. They are prohibitive favorites to win the World Series again. They are favorites to win. I think they're over-unders like 102 or 103 games. Bet the under on that. It is so hard to win that number of games, though people are saying they could be the best team ever. They could beat, they could win 116 games, 117 games. So what are you doing if you're Andrew Friedman and you're running the Dodgers heading into this season? You've picked up Trevor Bauer. You didn't get Corey Seager re-signed, but you have him. You lost Kiki Hernandez, a pretty good guy in the clubhouse, but not a big enough deal on your team to make a difference at all on the field. What do you do to motivate your players? We always thought as a front office that winning back-to-back and becoming the first team to win back-to-back since the Yankees did in 98, 99, 2000 when they went back-to-back-to-back. We always thought that was incentive enough. And as it turns out, the reason why it's so hard for teams to win back-to-back, which is why I chose the Braves to win the pennant and not the Dodgers this year, is that there is something that analytics don't tell you. There's something that your eyes and your stomach still tell you when you look carefully. You can talk all you want to your players about the feeling to repeat, the need to work harder than you did last year, the need to not take it for granted because you won it last year, the need to go into every game with that sense of importance that you did last year when you hadn't won a World Series since Kirk Gibson in 1988. And you can say those things till you are blue in the face. And guess what? It doesn't work. I've spoken to players about this on different teams, on championship teams, former players about it, and they are unanimous. It is impossible to treat the regular season 
with any level of importance when there are 162 games in 185 days and you are not going after something that you so desperately needed because you never had it before. The feeling of your first will always trump the feeling of your second until after you get your second and then you can say, ooh, this feels great. We wanted this the whole time. But baseball is the type of sport that builds to a crescendo starting in the spring, builds toward the days of summer. And then as the weather gets cold and you hit fall and the smell of October is in the air, there is a desperation, the October cologne, we would call it, the ringless desperation cologne. And it comes and it's built and it's made and it's manufactured over the course of a full season of work and of sweat and of toil and winning teams who are trying to repeat wear a different cologne, a different mix. Their mix is more, hey, it'd be pretty cool to have a second ring, wouldn't it? Yeah, it definitely would. I have two kids, give one to one kid, one to another, put one on my other ring finger. Michael Jordan used to say, I want one for the thumb. And then he got it. He was super psyched. He lifted his thumb up when he won his fifth. There are not a lot of Jordans out there. Being the prohibitive favor to repeat makes it even worse because you've got the pressure of thinking that everyone is betting on you to repeat. All the numbers say that you are the best team in baseball still, except you don't have the right cologne on. What will happen with the Dodgers? It will be an interesting wait to see. However, their season will start off positively. Nothing personal pick of the day. We didn't get to it on yesterday's show, which bothers me. We're 41 and 27. UCLA beat Michigan. I had a pick yesterday. The Utah Jazz, after they had their plane troubles, there's no way that their head was going to be in the game against Memphis. There was no way they were going to cover. And that was my pick of the day. Coca confirmed it because it was in the rundown. But because I didn't say it, I don't get credit for it. So we are still 41 and 27. I've got an opening day pick for you. I'm taking Kershaw. I'm taking Kershaw because I do believe the Dodgers, no matter what type of letdown they are going to feel playing a game after the World Series, no matter how much they may not think that opening day matters because they're good enough that they can turn it on whenever they want, they're playing the Colorado Rockies. The Colorado Rockies are a team that lost Nolan Arenado. They've got Marquez opening for them. He's fine. He's fine. Kershaw is not a true ace, not a true opening day ace. That is a respect start. Bauer is their best pitcher. Bueller is their best best pitcher, not Kershaw. Kershaw, however, I believe this is his ninth opening day start. There's just something about opening day in Kershaw. Take the Dodgers. Title defense starts today. Dodgers, nothing personal pick of the day. I got to do a quick correction uh, before we go to break. When I say something wrong on a show, I'm always going to say, hey, just correct me, and I'll correct it. We did a story about Deshaun Watson about massages, and I talked about my sports massages and how important it is and how much I hate them because they're so hard because the massages are basically getting rid of your lactic acid, and my Twitter went crazy. It was as though I'd said something totally crazy, and I guess I did. So I have a quick correction on masseuses and lactic acid. Lactic acid is the wrong term for what you were describing, David. It's a myth in general. Lactic acid actually clears the system 30 minutes post-workout. 
the muscle soreness is the result of micro trauma in the muscles and connective tissues causing inflammation. What's happening when you feel the burn during a workout is actually the body breaking down ATP for energy releasing hydrogen ions. What? I don't know what the heck you're talking about. I just know that I was wrong and I've been wrong for 20 years of running where I always assumed what I was trying to avoid was lactic acid buildup by staying aerobic and not going anaerobic because when you get lactic acid in the middle of a marathon, what I thought was your legs start hurting. You can't walk downstairs. You can't run downhill and you get fatigued. And then when the masseuse comes and they press on your quad, you scream like you're going to the moon with Jackie Gleason. Thanks for the correction. When we come back, we're going to review the single best performance in Anthony Hopkins career. And then we are going to get to, I promise you, we are getting to Lone Depot Park. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Thank you for downloading and following. You saw our bonus pod last night. If you haven't, we did a quick 10-minute story about Lindor signing. We're right back at it this morning with a full Nothing Personal We appreciate that you download. We appreciate that you follow. We appreciate that you watch on YouTube on Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Tell your friends about it. Let's keep having fun. I watched the final movie that I hadn't seen that was nominated for Best Picture, starring Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. It's a story about a man, Anthony Hopkins, an octogenarian who has dementia. When I first saw that the movie was coming out and I didn't know anything about it, I thought it was involving the Pope or a cardinal, a father. I then saw during the course of reading articles, I don't read reviews, I saw that it was actually about a father and how you deal, a family deals with a man, a father, the head of family, who is deep, deep, deep into dementia. It is a nuanced performance by Anthony Hopkins, the likes of which I haven't seen him ever do. And we're talking about an Academy Award winner. We're talking about one of the best actors. And this part, based on a a French play, actually, and it was written, adapted for the screenplay only for Anthony Hopkins. If he hadn't taken this role, this movie would have been made in French with someone else. Olivia Coleman is nominated for Best Supporting Actress playing his daughter. You don't realize how hard it is on the children when a parent has dementia the way Anthony Hopkins does. The film is done in a way that you don't know what's real. You don't know what's in his brain. You don't know what he thinks is real versus what is real. It is extremely uncomfortable. It is extremely perfectly acted. It took me days after watching this movie to really think about all the different parts of it. And I'm not spoiling it except to say, pay attention when you watch The Father. It is worth every penny. I paid the $19.99 plus tax. I paid the $22. I wanted to watch every Oscar movie, and that was the last one I needed to see for Best Picture and for Best Actor and for Best Supporting Actress. But please pay attention to what the director does, who also wrote the play, what the director does to give you clues, little 
Easter bunnies. I think that may be the expression. Little Easter bunnies about whether or not you are looking at reality or what Anthony Hopkins believes is reality. All right, Coca, the Marlins open today. I'm very excited. Marlins open against the Rays. I used to love that series. Talk to me. You know what I want? (laughs) I want to talk to Samson. Glad to have us. So you want to talk to Samson? We get him every day. Some of them do not make the show. I try to answer it on Twitter at David P. Samson. Get into my DMs, ask questions. There is a topic that you knew I'd get to. And the question was, please explain your view of Lone Depot Park in Miami. Why couldn't you get a deal done? You knew I was going to take that question. The Marlins announced back to back this past week that they'd gotten a new TV deal and that they now have a naming rights deal. When we were building Marlins Park, one of the things you do is you you calculate your revenue and you calculate your expenses. So you basically put a budget together of what it means to move from an old ballpark to a new ballpark. And the way the budget comes together is you do a seating manifest and then you choose pricing and then you come up to an average ticket price. You then model what you believe your level of season ticket holders will be exactly where they will sit. Then you suspect and budget the number of individual tickets that will be sold, where those tickets will be sold and what the pricing will be for every single ticket of every single game of the season. Then you work with your group sales department to see what the sales are for the special groups you're doing. Then you look at your suites. You count the number of suites you have. Let's say you've got 20 suites at a million dollars each and you say you're going to sell them out. So that's 20 million in suite revenue. Then they're all going to buy food. And then you project what the food and beverage per cap will be. Meaning at the end of the game, The total amount of food and beverage you have sold divided by the number of people in the turnstile is your per cap per game in that game for food and beverage. You do the same thing for merchandise at the team store. How many hats? How many gloves? How many jerseys? How many balls? How many bats? Then when you're building a ballpark, you also project what your signage will be. We're going to have a naming rights partner. We're going to have Other core partners, we built Marlins Park with four quadrants, red, blue, yellow, and green. We're going to sell those. Here's what we're going to get for them. We have a naming rights opportunity. Here's what we're going to get for that. We've got the following seven outfield signs. Then we've got digital signage. And you make a menu. And a menu has every single sign. So behind the plate, you know you've got at least 17 and a half half innings. You sell half innings. You hope to get an 18th half inning, although not really because you'd rather win at the top of the ninth and not have a bottom of the ninth because you'd rather go 81 and 0 and not be able to sell the bottom of the ninth, but it doesn't quite work that way. So you put it all on a spreadsheet. You add it up and you say, this is what our revenue is going to be. Then you go through the expenses of air conditioning, the expenses of security, police, first aid, emergency responders, ushers, ticket takers, cost of goods sold for your merchandise, for your concessionaire, what it costs to operate the stadium, to put in new grass when you need it, what it costs to pay the people on the ground screw, everything. You have your revenue, you have your costs. Then you go out and you try to raise your revenue. When we started and got the approval for Marlins Park in 2009, we had 
said that we were going to reserve $10 million for naming rights. And we didn't just make that number out of the sky. We did it in consultation with other companies who for a living value signage. That's what they do. They're companies you can hire who look at your market, who look at your properties and give you a range of what they suspect those properties can sell for. Then I look at it and say, ah, I think we can get a little more for that. Ooh, there's no way. There's no way we're going to be selling the upper deck uh, on a random Wednesday game against the race. It's just not going to happen. So we go through and we come up with our menu and then we go out and sell it. And I tried for years to get a naming rights partner for years because I wasn't going to do a deal for under $10 million. Came close with Pepsi, but that number was eight. Came close with several other companies at five, six, couple at four. And I said no every time, even though smarter people than I said, you're going to turn down $8 million? Isn't eight million more than zero? I mean, couldn't we sign an, a mediocre four starter for $8 million? And I said, once you sell your naming rights, that's it. You're done. Let's say you do a 10-year deal. I guess you could rename the building 10 years later, but the second naming rights deal is never the same as the first. Never say never. That's not true. There's some instances where maybe you get more money, but the first where there's brand equity, that was my sale. My sale was no one knows what this Marlin Stadium is called. If you name it now, it will forever be known as Pepsi Park. That's just what people will call it. Now, here we are five years later, 10 years later, and it's called Marlins Park. The amount of money that you can get from a naming rights partner may not be as great as it would have been early on in the process. But of course, you've got better people selling it, smarter people running the team, better owners. So maybe they are going to get that amount of money. Maybe that's what they held out for. Why else do you not do a deal for $8 million? Because remember the menu I told you about that has all of the revenue that you can have? Well, just keep in mind when naming rights deals are announced to you, the public, they give you the total number, although they really don't. It'll be leaked. Let's say the Marlins got $10 million from Loan Depot. The question you have to ask is, what did they get for that $10 million? Remember I told you about the menu of signage that there exists in a ballpark? Suites and seats behind the plate. What happens if Loan Depot gets four seats in the Diamond Club, which is now called something else, right behind the plate? And let's pretend they're not, but let's pretend they're $1,000 a seat and they got four seats for every game. That's 4,000 a game, 80 games, $320,000 a year they're getting in seats. Well, the naming rights deal is now 10 million minus 320 grand because you can't sell those four seats to someone else for 320 grand. Now let's say that Loan Depot appears behind the plate in the first inning and in the fourth inning. Well, if you can get 100 grand a year for a half inning and you give that to Loan Depot twice, now you're going from 10 million down 320, down another 200 grand. Now let's say the contract with Loan Depot includes a suite. Uh-oh, what if they want a suite? Well, let's say we charge half a million dollars for a suite, but we're giving it to them and they get food on top of that. Uh-oh, 
That means it's now 10 million, down 320, down 200, down another 500. We're getting closer to 9 million. What about a giveaway? There's going to be a special bobblehead day that'll be sponsored by Loan Depot. Well, we charge 150 grand for a bobblehead and we have to pay money to get the bobbleheads made and we get it sponsored. So we make money on the deal. But now we have to buy the bobbleheads and we can't sell the bobbleheads because we gave it to the naming rights partner. Do you see where I'm going with this, Coca? Where I'm going is you don't ever know what the naming rights deal is unless you actually see the contract and see what inventory you are giving to get the naming rights deal. And this is not me saying that Jeter did not do a good job. I know you're waiting for that. No, I couldn't get a deal that I wanted, which was 10 million for naming rights. If you want other signage, if you want behind the plate, you want digital signage, you want commercials on radio, or you want us commercials on Fox on our TV, I'm in. I want you to have all of it, but that's going to cost more money. Because if we do not get the maximum that we needed in our budget for these properties, and then we sell it and can't sell it again, then by definition, we can't hit the revenue that we needed to hit to explain why we were willing to do the expenses that we were willing to do. You know this, let's say you have a house to sell. If you have one house to sell, you own one house. Are you desperate to sell it? Do you need the money? If you do, guess what happens? If you desperately need the money to sell your house, you're going to take whatever price is offered because you've got to get the cash. What happens if you don't need the money? Then do you know what happens? You hold out for the price you want. And I'm not saying we didn't need the money in naming rights because we did, but I had a much longer term view. And I'm not saying the Marlins are desperate for cash, except I'm saying the Marlins are desperate for cash. That doesn't make them unique. There are 30 teams desperate for cash right now because of COVID. This is an opportunity for companies to come in and make deals because the calculus that I used going into a new ballpark does not exist today. It's also important to mention who the naming rights partner is been a lot of criticism about Loan Depot Park. What an awful name that is. It doesn't flow off the tongue. There'll be a nickname for it. Hey, do you want to go to the deep, the dep, the depot? What about this? You need a loan? Come to the park. Do the Marlins owners need a loan? Go to a game. Don't forget, though, it's small L, big D, small P, LDP. Loan Depot, one word, small L, big D, and depot. But then the park is not capitalized. Don't screw that up. I liked Pepsi Park. Let's go to the Pep. Pepsi Park. Bang Brothers Park. So many possibilities. But guess what? I didn't give a rat's pituitary gland about what the name of the park was for real. I just wanted the money. So I would never blame a team for getting an awkward name. I just went to a game at Vivint, Vivient Arena. I can't even remember what some of these arenas are called. The Heat have a new naming rights partner. It's some sort of cryptocurrency exchange. I don't even know what it's called, Coca. It could be called the FTX Arena. I think I'm making that up, but it may be. The point is the days of having names that just feel good, sound good. They're like their alliterations. Those days are over. It's just about cash. And Loan Depot is a company with cash right now, which should make you nervous given what they do. They're growing like crazy, totally legitimate company, 
definitely growing and they are entering baseball in a big way. Is it a coincidence that Loan Depot became the official mortgage company of MLB this offseason and that they're the presenting sponsor of the AL and NL championship series? They are all in on baseball. During the press release, they said we're all in on South Florida. Anyone else remember what happened the last time mortgage companies got all in on South Florida? Well, we got to see a great movie called The Big Short. Is this a housing bubble? Are people getting one-click mortgages, left, right, and center loans that they can't repay? Because whether you want to look at where the Dow is or the S&P or a, a stock, the fact is that unemployment is high and people are on their tuchus right now because of the pandemic. It's going to be fascinating to see how Loan Depot does, but I give all the credit in the world for the Marlins to latch their wagon to a company that already was investing in baseball. It made it very easy to approach them. The market in South Florida is perfect. It was a dream deal. I only wish that had been available in 12 because I would have grabbed it too. So congratulations to the Marlins. You did get your TV deal. Not sure what number it is versus what you could have had. You did get your naming rights deal. You have an incredible young team, a great farm system. You're making history with great diverse hires. You are an organization on the rise. It's now time to win games. And I think you're going to. Remember from yesterday, you're my surprise team. Fourth place. But at the end of the day, you know what I'm going to say. Lone Depot Park, be there for opening day or be square. And when you see Derek, just wave and say, we get it. It's just business. It's nothing personal. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.